How many of y'all are on Facebook? It's okay. This is, no one's, you're not getting great or anything. How many of y'all are on, on Twitter? Okay. Pretty even. There seems more Facebook people. Well, for those of you who aren't uh, social network savvy, Facebook, basically, uh, Twitter and Facebook are like the two main social networks. And they're pretty similar, except the, probably the biggest difference is that Facebook... Okay, if I, if I know someone, I'm going to send them a friend request, and, and, or they send me a friend request. And as soon as one of us accepts that friend request, then there's a mutual friendship. And everything that they post shows up on, on my feed, and so I can see their pictures, their status updates, all that stuff. And then anything I would post, they would see, because it's a mutual friendship. Well, the difference between that and Twitter is Twitter, uh, one of the main things, it's limited to 140 characters. So it's, most of it is just like uh, text updates, but you're, you do it in 140 characters or less. And the difference between that and Facebook is I choose who I want to follow, but it's not an instant mutual friendship. I, I can follow someone, but that doesn't mean they follow me back. So for instance, you can use Twitter for a lot of different things. I like to follow certain pastors, leaders, writers, people that I look up to because um, you can share anything, but a lot of them post scriptures or, or quotes or words of encouragement. And so it's kind of cool to you know, check your Twitter app and there's just stuff that's you know, bringing life to you. And you can use it for whatever you want. Follow celebrities. You know, there's all kinds of uses. Um, ESPN, check scores, check news. You know, it's, it's got a lot of uses. But... Like I said, you follow someone, that doesn't mean they necessarily follow you back. It's not a mutual thing. So I may follow, let's say, Pastor Rick Warren. I know who he is. He's worth following, in my opinion, but he has no clue who I am. So he's probably not going to follow me back. And that, that's okay. It's fine that way. Well, a couple weeks ago, I get up, and it's early in the morning, and uh, I get a text, and it's, it's actually a group text. And so if you're not familiar with a group text, I'm talking a lot of, like, tech, techy stuff tonight. If you're not familiar with a group text, it's like a text message, but there's multiple people involved. So I, it says it's from Dad. I open it, and Mom is included in the text log. And the first thing I see is a picture that he attached, and we've got a, um, a copy of it. There we go. Okay, so what this is, this is a screenshot from my dad's phone and his Twitter app. And the part I want to draw your attention to, it says, Joyce Meyer followed you. And dad said, along with that image, he said, yeah, me and Joyce. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sitting there hardly awake. And I'm like, what? And this is the text log that that followed. Mom said, okay, this follow took place at 2 a.m. His phone vibrated and lit up the whole bedroom. I thought it was an emergency. He was so thrilled that he had to tell me how cool it was that Joyce Meyer was now following him at 2 a.m. <laughs> Mom said, I don't think it's really her, just some college interns who work at her ministry. <laughs> and so I know a little better. I know it's probably not Joyce Meyer. And so just to be sure, I go to her, to, to her Twitter, and I see that she follows over 500,000 people. <laughs> so it's not, it's probably personally not Joyce. And also uh, a tactic with Twitter is usually the more people you follow, the more followers you get back. Sometimes that works out. So I, I chime in on the text log and I said, Dad, I hate to break it to you, but I checked her account and she follows over 500,000 users. Mom then said, well, they need to quit following people at 2 a.m. <laughs> then Dad said, no, guys, this is different. Joyce and I are tight. that's why she sent this notification at 2 a.m and i said dad you just need to turn off your twitter notifications so that your phone doesn't light up and alert you at 2 a.m anymore he replied in all caps with three exclamation marks whatever (laughs) (laughs) so that was the end of that 
And it does have a purpose. I've, it was just something funny that happened. And then as I was preparing, it kind of tied in with where I'm going tonight. But how many of us has that been? Where it doesn't matter who we're with, what's going on, what we're doing. We stop everything uh, to, to acknowledge some type of notification, whether it's a Twitter notification or responding to a text message or to take a call or to read an email or to update our Facebook status or whatever it is. We live in such a technological society. We are constantly uh, accessible. And some of you may say, well, I'm not on those social networks. That's a, that's a sign of the times, sign of the Antichrist. My, my grandfather actually said that. So, <laughs> But most of us who are with the times, you're on t- some type of uh, social network or you communicate through text message, emails, whatever. But we've become very accessible. We're more accessible as people than we've ever been. And beyond just being accessible, we are more busy as a society than we've ever been. We're busy, busy, busy. We're always moving. We're going. We're doing. It's all about um, getting as much as we can get done in the day. And that, that's not a bad thing. It's great to be uh, motivated and to be passionate and to be an achiever. I'm very much wired that way. I like to tackle things and get as much as I can get done in the day. And so that's not a bad thing. But in culture, busyness has become the norm. That's what's expected. It's all about how much we can take on and how much we can get done. And you've got to be busy. And, and a lot of us can relate to that. I know we have different uh, schedules. We have different responsibilities, different to-do lists, different roles, as Pastor Tim's been talking about, that make up our lives. But we can all relate to being busy, whether it's work. Maybe for some of us, that's multiple jobs, school, games, practices, recitals, meetings, workouts, doctor's appointments, errands, projects, yard work, house duties. The list goes on and on. And when you start to think about all that you've got going on, sometimes it can be draining. It can make you tired just thinking about all that you've got on your to-do list. And what's funny is as we become so busy as a society, we're busier than we've ever been. I also think a lot of people take themselves more serious than we ever have. Some people think they're so important and, and, and no one better get in my way because every second counts. I am so busy. I am so important. I got so much I got to do. And there's people that just take themselves so seriously. And, and one practical everyday place that I see this happen is in drive throughs You know, drive throughs the concept is, is not new. They've been around for a few decades. And, and it's still kind of funny, though, if you stop and think about it, that you can, if you're in a hurry, or maybe you just eat bad, but you get in your car, you go to a speaker and order your food, you pull up a little bit, hand them some money, they hand you your food, and you're on your way. Like, it's still, it's kind of a, a funny thing. And that's just the society we live in. We want things automatically, how we want them, when we want them, because we are so important and so busy. But taking drive throughs to a whole new level is the whole dual drive through thing. And, and you've probably seen it at McDonald's and different places. But I'm so aware of it at our new Chick-fil-A just off 75, because that, those lines are always slammed. You can't get in the place, especially at lunchtime. There's so many people in there. And then the drive through lines, there's two of them, and they, like, wrap around the place. But I love Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven days a week, but they're closed on Sundays. So I eat there about five or six days a week. Not really. Uh, Katie had to help me draw the line with that one. But there's the whole dual drive through line concept. And so I started laughing at other people, but then I realized I'm just as guilty as them. I find myself... And I pull into one line, and at the same time, someone else pulls into the other one. And I'm like, okay, it's on. 
And I'm like, I got to beat this guy. I got to get out of this drive-thru before he does. And so the car in front of me moves up, and I kind of gun it, and then he moves up. And then we're both at the speaker. And if you've ever been in it, it's two lines up until after you've placed your order. And then it kind of files into one line, and then you pay, and then you get your food. And so for me, it's always a race. I have got to get into that single line before the person next to me. And, and it's so funny when you get to that point. At, you're at the speaker. I spit out my order as fast as I can. Number five, value size with uh, sweet tea. I spit it out, and I'm always hoping I beat the guy next to me so that I can get in. Well, it seems like we always finish at the same time, and then it's this number. And in the cars, you're like kind of like edging each other out, and someone's eventually got to, you know, submit. But it, and it's that whole like mind game. It's like you don't make eye contact with them because you're like, obviously they know I was first. And so you're just like waiting for them back, back off, stand down. I, I, I need my chicken. When you get to the window, <laughs> when you get to the window, they know what you ordered. It's not like they ever ring you up wrong. I mean, they, they know because they have a system and they know which one, even if you do cut the other person line. But we just get in this mindset where it's like that 20 seconds really makes all the difference in the world. Doesn't that person know how important I am, how busy I am, all the things I have going on? I am so important. And that's the mindset that we've, we've begun to take on. And busyness, while it's not a bad thing, it can be, if we let it, it can be a very unhealthy thing. And the consequence of busyness, I believe, causes greater harm to us than the stress of busyness. The consequence of busyness can bring us greater harm than the stress of busyness. We all know what it, uh, what it means to be stressed by being busy. We've got so much going on, whatever's going on in your day. And, 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 you know, we're mentally invested in those things. You could have a big day at work, meetings and stuff that happens. And I know this is true for me where I've, I've had a lot going on in the day. I didn't get quite everything done that I needed to. And I'm fully aware that bright and early the next day, it's going to be staring right at me. And so I come home to my beautiful wife and my little boy, and I should be ready to give them my undivided attention. But mentally, I'm still connected to whatever was going on at work. I haven't made that complete disconnect. And so not only is there the stress of me, you know, I'm kind of, I can be OCD and, and a perfectionist. And so I'm r- running through, through my head all the things I've got to get done and how I can do them better. And so not only is that stress bringing me harm, but the consequence of that busyness is even greater because it's robbing me of quality time with my family. It's robbing them of the undivided attention of dad and of husband. And I I think, you know, I'm using myself as an example, but I think at one time or another, we've all been guilty of that. And and so there's not only just the, the consequence of robbing that quality time and keeping it from being all that it can be, but there's also the physical toll that, that busyness and that stress can take on your body. And so tonight, what I want to talk about is something that's, uh, it's, pretty general, but, but I, I think it's very important that we get a grip on it. And that's guarding our time, guarding our time. I'm going to talk about three things that I believe will help us guard our time and ultimately help us protect our lives in the long run. And the, the first of those things tonight is to rest. To rest, not just um, rest in the physical sense, but getting back to an understanding of the importance of rest in the biblical sense. And I'll kind of show you what I mean. But rest is another thing that has become countercultural. 
our culture would say, would not say that rest is the norm. It's always, if, if, if everything is about busyness and accomplishing and going and doing, then rest, you know, we don't have time for rest. There, there's multi-million, even billion dollar industries that make money by supplying us with products that give us excuses not to rest. I'm talking five-hour energy, Red Bull, Starbucks, Monster Energy drinks, whatever. You know, y- you could be working up on a business proposal all night or, or a paper for college or whatever it is, and you're fully aware that you're physically drained. And you're like, man, I'm so tired, but I don't got time for rest. It's okay because there's a Starbucks on my commute or I've got a, 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 a fridge full of Red Bulls or whatever it is. And so these, these types of things, it's just another example that in culture, uh, rest is, is not something that is the norm. And so... Yes, we need to rest so that we're not physically drained. But tonight, I'm not talking about rest in the sense of uh, a power nap or or, uh, getting eight hours a night. What I'm talking about is rest as a biblical command for life. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 2 with me. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 3. God has just created everything. And it says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And so let, let me cut you off real quick because I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're like, God, God can't get tired. God wasn't physically tired. Well, this isn't necessarily saying that God was physically tired. God is all powerful and he can do anything. And he spoke everything we see into existence. All that we see from nothing. That, that's just how he is. He is a creator. And so it didn't take a physical toll on God. But looking at the Matthew Henry commentary on this passage, it reads, God did not rest as one who was weary, but as one who was well pleased. He didn't rest because he was weary. He rested as one who was well pleased. And so I think that's an important thing for us to look at and to understand in our lives. Yes, a lot of us may be weary, and that may be our reason for seeking rest. But do we ever seek rest because we're actually pleased? And you probably say, well, what do you mean by that? For instance, me coming home saying I can't disconnect from the day for whatever reason, I'm still, you know, processing all that I have to do and all that I have going on. Well, there's got to be a point where we're pleased in what we've done, where we realize we've put forth our best effort and we've done all that we can do. And it's safe to leave that and say, okay, I'm going to leave work at work. And now I'm going to adjust into this role and I'm going to love my wife and I'm going to play with my son and I'm going to fulfill those roles. And and to be pleased in what you've done, to be content, to realize you're not going to get everything done and that's okay. But further than just being pleased in what we've done, because we are far from God, he created something perfect. Further than being pleased in what we've done, learning to be pleased in what he's done in our lives and resting in that fact. Now, in this, in this passage, this is really the first place that we see a Sabbath um, in the Bible. He, he says to declare that day as holy. And a lot of people have different views on the Sabbath and how that actually falls today, like what all that entails and how that applies with our culture. And so I'm not necessarily telling you guys that um, what your Sabbath should be, but I am urging you to reconsider what rest is and how you can find rest in an all-sufficient God. Amen. Go to Mark 6 with me. Mark 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 30 and 31. It says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so what we're seeing here is the the disciples have come to Jesus and they're returning, as it says, from a, a tour in ministry. And they're giving him a report of what happened. Well, up until this point, the disciples 
had not gone on ministry tours by themselves. They had always been with the man, their leader, Jesus. They were following him. And if you look at chapter 6, like verses 7 through 13, they go off on their own. This is their first ministry tour. And in that time, I encourage you to go back and read it. There's a lot that happens, a lot that they see, a lot that they accomplish, a lot that they witness. And so when they come back to Jesus, they're not only there to give him a report of what they had seen and what they had done, but I think Jesus sees they're spent. Some of them are weary. Some of them are discouraged. They, they're like, master, you know, this is what happened, but yet they're also seeking some type of rest in him. And Jesus recognizes that. And so Jesus says, come, let's go away and let's rest. And and already there's a crowd forming. Uh, There's people already coming to be, to be ministered to. And so they get on a boat and they go out into the water and the people see this. And so by the time Jesus and the disciples dock on the other side, the crowd is already waiting for them at the dock. They're already there. Jesus steps off the boat and he sees the people and he's moved with compassion. And what we see that follows after this is he feeds the 5,000. He feeds the multitudes. One of his greatest miracles, he takes a boy's lunch of fish and of bread, and he multiplies that in order to feed these multitudes of people who come and who really were placing a demand on Jesus and his ministry gifts and on his disciples. But what I want to point out here is, okay, look at that story. They got on a boat and they went around in the water and then they get off. It's not like they had a a good power nap or they went away for a seven-week cruise. Seven-week, wow, it's a long cruise. A seven-day cruise and slept the whole time. No, I mean, this was probably pretty brief. But they still found rest. And and I'm going to show you what I mean in this. It, It was enough time that they were able to refocus and then be moved by compassion and by grace to continue doing what they were doing. And so Jesus is inviting us to rest in him. A lot of us may not have ministry demand on our life, but we have all kinds of demands, things that pull on us, things that, that, that weigh down on us. And Jesus is inviting us to rest in him. And maybe you don't have time for a power nap, or maybe the way your schedule is right now, you can't get eight hours of sleep. Well, I'm not talking about physical rest. I'm not talking about physical recharge. I'm talking about spiritual refocus. I'm talking about resting in Jesus. And that when we do so, when we have that time of refocus, he can move us with compassion. He can empower us with grace. He can remind us of his faithfulness and of his promises and then equip us to continue doing what he was having us do to begin with. Amen? Amen. Rest is very instrumental, I believe, in opening the doors to God's blessings. You recognize rest. I think God rewards that. And there's a great example of that is Eric Liddell. I, I have a picture if you want to throw that up there. A lot of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Okay, that, that was pretty bad. But that, that song, we've all heard that song. That's from the movie Chariots of Fire. And it's about this British Olympian, this runner, Eric Liddell. And in 1924, he's, he's trained for the Olympics. And he goes to Paris and he's there. And the first race that he was to competed in was the 100 meters. And it falls on a Sunday. And so he, he's a believer. He's a Christian. And based on his beliefs and his convictions, he, does, he says he's not going to run in the race. And so that's countercultural. People are like, what? You train for the Olympics and then you're not going to run in this huge race? People are baffled. People are criticizing him. His own country is calling him a traitor. The Prince of Wales contacts him personally to beg him to reconsider uh, running in that race. And he sticks to his guns. He honors his convictions and his beliefs. Well, the next race that he does run in is the 400 meter. And not only does he win the race, he wins by 15 meters and he sets the new world record. Wins the gold, sets the world record. I'd like to think that has to do with something, the fact that he 
he honored the Sabbath. He honored the concept of rest. He honored God in that, and he stuck to what he believed. And then he turns around, and God empowered him with, with what he needed to do to run this race and to really kick butt in doing so. Can I say that? <laughs> God, God, God blessed him for resting. And, and I don't think Eric Liddell needed that day to rest physically. I mean, he'd been training for this. I think it was a spiritual refocus. I think it was his beliefs and it, and it was what he stood by and, and that's what he stuck to. And so that's a great example for us to realize, put God first, rest, understand the importance of rest, and then watch him bless your endeavors. Amen. All right. Number two, number two in guarding our time is that we learn how to be still. Rest and being still, you'd say, okay, those go together. I'm going to talk about this. Being still, um, a lot of us are on the verge of burnout. A lot of us know what it is to deal with stress, and with anxiety. And I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that we just don't know how to be still anymore. We, we've, we've lost the, the value and in, in, in the importance of what it means to be still. As, as believers, we say we know God and that we acknowledge him. But how many days... Are, are, happen where we're, we're running from one thing to the next. And from the moment we get up to the moment we lay down, it, it's a race. And it's, there's all these things we're doing. And at the end of the day, when your head hits that pillow, do you ever stop and think, wow, how much did I, did I actually acknowledge God today? I, I know for me, there's days where, yeah, I, I spent some time in prayer and, and, I, and I, you know, read the word a little bit here, but I didn't spend time with God like I wanted to. I didn't give him the attention. I never stopped to really be still. And, and you know, in the physical realm, if someone's talking to me and I'm not paying attention to them, I'm not going to hear what they have to say. If, if I'm busying myself with other things, and yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, not really tuning in, I stop every now and then to listen, I'm not going to hear what it is that they're trying to tell me. So the same exact thing is true in the spiritual realm. If we don't stop to acknowledge God, if we don't know what it means to be still, if our devotions just become a checklist on our spiritual list, and, and we fly through them and, and, and you stop and you're like, what did I really get out of that? If we don't stop and be still and take time to acknowledge God and hear what he has to say, we're not going to know what he has to say. We're, we're, we're not going to know his full direction for our lives. And it's only by spending time getting to know him that we learn to hear his direction. We have to be still. And if our minds don't know how to be still, then our hearts aren't going to know how to be still. We've got to value that enough to slow down, to quiet our minds so that we can hear his promptings and not just hear them so that we could say we, we, we hear God, but so that there is a peace which then allows us to respond obediently to what it is that he would be showing us. And we would all say we want peaceful, happy lives. We would all say we want to be free from burnout and exhaustion. Well, that's not a complicated thing. You know, sometimes the way we lead our lives in just such a fast pace and always going, it's like, man, peace and, 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 and a life free from burnout seems like so far off. Well, it's not. It's not complicated. We've just got to learn how to be still. We've got to get back to that. And go to Psalms 4610. It's going to be on the screen. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And you may say, well, that's I mean, that's pretty simple. I, I guess it's just a decision. I have to choose to be still. Well, I want to I change how you're probably looking at that. It doesn't mean that you, you find a place and you just sit there physically still and quiet, waiting on God. If you, if you do some study, be still in the Hebrew actually is a term that means to release or to let go. So it's not necessarily referring to physically being still or being quiet, but it's talking about a release or letting go. So reread the verse, but substitute those words. 
Release, let go, and know that I am God. Release, let go, and know that I am God. How many of us walk around day after day carrying burdens, carrying cares that we weren't meant to care, carrying things that are just, we're harboring them, and we're not giving them to God, and it's, it's creating anxiety and frustration, and it's, it's taking away from our ability to lead our families and to give all that we can to our jobs, and it's just affecting our roles because we don't know how to let things go. Well, it's simple. Just choose to do it. Release, let go, lay those things at the foot of the cross. Lay those things down and know that he is God. Yeah, they may be bigger than you. They may be bigger than what you can handle, but they're not bigger than what God can handle. And he's saying, be still, let go of those things and know that I am God and I am more than enough. I am able to take care of those things on your behalf. Trust God and obey. That's your one choice. Or the other choice is to not trust God and disobey. I don't, I don't want to be in disobedience. And ultimately, I believe when you're not trusting God, when you're not giving uh, God that place in your life, saying, God, I, I surrender. I, I, I trust you. When you don't trust God, that's actually, that's disobedience. And so our choice is to trust him and obey or to not trust and disobey. And so I encourage you to trust God, obey, learn what it means to be still, let go of those cares and trust that he is God. Amen? Amen. So we've covered in guarding our time that we've got to rest, We've got to be still. And we have to be aware. And, I, and I'll show you what I mean by that. How many of y'all have heard someone say, if I just had more time in the day? How many of you said, if I just had more time in the day? If I just had another hour? Or if there was just another day in the week, then I could get done all that I need to get done. I would be able to give my all to this if I just had more time in the day. Well, guess what? The answer isn't more time. The answer isn't more time. We all have the same amount of time. And I don't mean that in the sense that we're all going to live the same amount of years. You know, some of us are going to go before others. Only God knows that. But what I do mean is in the concept of time, we've all been given 24 hours. We've all been given seven days in a week. We've all been given 365 days in a year. And so the answer is not more time. It's how you steward that time. And I, and I believe if we honestly had another hour in the day or another day in the week, the way we're wired and the way we leave, live our life so busy, we'd probably tap out that time as well and still be begging for more time because we're not stewarding, stewarding the time that we've already been given. In the pace of our lives, it's become always about cramming. What else can we fit in? but rarely looking at what we have saying, what, what can I cut out? So always trying to take more on, but rarely looking to say, you know what? No, I can't. I, I actually need to lay this down. I, I, I need to create some margin in my life. We live our life stating disclaimers like uh, calling ahead saying, hey, I'm going to be uh, 10 minutes late for the meeting. And that just becomes a habit. And it just becomes excusable because, that, well, that's just that person. They've got a lot on them. Well, no, they just don't know how to steward their time. <laughs> we, you, 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 there's people who say, oh, honey, I'm not going to be able to make the full recital. I, I've got to split out early. W- at what point do you go on? Or I'm, I'm not going to be able to stay for this or that. And we live our lives with these disclaimers. And, and, and it's just people excuse it because we're busy people. But it's not right. We've, we've got to learn to see, uh, look at our lives and see what we can take out and learn where we need to say no and create room so that we have that margin and we can value the time that we've been given. So the answer isn't more time. The answer is to be aware, to have a greater awareness of the time that we've already been given. We've got to make time for the important, not for the urgent. Make time for the important, not the urgent. If we, if we let it, so many things in our life will become urgent. 
If we're constantly saying yes and we're trying to take everything on ourselves, stuff becomes urgent. And I know certain people that everything is urgent to them. They're always in like spasm mode. Their, their adrenaline is pumping and they bust through your door or they, they come up to you or they call you. And it's never like just, you know, just something normal. It's always an emergency. It's always urgent. And you look at those people and they're full of adrenaline and, and, and they're, they're going 100 miles an hour. And then you, you got to stop and think, man, when that person crashes, they probably crash hard. And, and I don't want to be that person. You know, we weren't created to be Superman or to be Superwoman. You know, God, he will give us the grace. He'll he'll empower us. He'll give us what we need to do what we've been called to do. But we don't have to do everything. And we've got to learn that there's a difference between what is important and and just letting everything become urgent and become an emergency. James 4, 14 through 16 says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to do we will live and to do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. And so we've got to decide what is truly, in our, truly important in our life and then discipline ourselves to focus around those things. And I'm not talking about just what's important to us. There may be things that are important to us and we put time and effort in that and they may even be good things. But ultimately, it shouldn't be just what is important to us, but us seeking God to find out what is important to God and what does he want for my life. Find that out. And we find that out only by resting, by being still, by being aware of the time that he's given us. Pastor Tim just finished an amazing series on the weekend uh, called Roles. And if you, if you didn't hear it, I, I strongly encourage you to go back on our website and catch up on that series. It's just a three-parter, but it's something that everyone can walk away with, with a greater understanding of the roles that make up our life and, and how we give ourselves to those roles. But he had a, a quote in there that stood out greatly, and it totally applies to this. He said, our roles reveal our priorities, and our priorities make our decisions for us. And so backing up to what I just said, if we know what's important to God, and we focus our life on those things, then that's going to kind of reveal our roles. And when we know our roles, then we're going to know our priorities. And those priorities will protect us. They'll answer the tough questions for us. And if our priorities are what protects us, then catch this. Pace is what will prolong us. Priorities protect us. Pace prolongs us. And really, it all, it all goes back to time, being aware of what we've been given and, and, and guarding our time. I want to wrap up with a story that I feel um, it, it's very easy to follow and it, it, it's very applicable to what I'm talking about here. It says, There was a dad who realized that he was so busy that he was missing most of his kids' lives. He never planned to take them for granted or deliberately chose to miss out on quality time with his kids. But he realized that his time with them would continue to melt faster than a popsicle in July unless he found a way to slow down and savor the present. So when his oldest daughter was a sophomore in high school, he did something that changed his family's life. The wise father purchased a bunch of marbles. Back at home, he carefully counted out 143 marbles and he put them into a large jar. According to his calculations, he had just 143 Saturdays left before his oldest daughter graduated high school and left home. So the father put 143 marbles in a jar, and each Saturday he pulled one out. This visual reminded him of the importance of investing his time in the places that mattered the most. It was inevitable that he was going to lose his marbles, but at least this way he got to decide where they went. (laughs) And so 
I'm not calling anyone out tonight, but hey guys, you're losing your marbles. <laughs> we're all losing our marbles. We're, we're, time is fleeting. Time is precious and the days are flying by. And so you may have a lot on you, but we've got to care enough about guarding our time that we step back and say, okay, where are my marbles going? And this dad realized, okay, this is, this precious time is getting away. My daughter's going to be out of the nest before I know it. And so he set up this visual and he realized, okay, yeah, the weeks are flying by. I'm losing my marbles, but at least reminding myself of this, I can choose what I get to do with those. And so that's what we have to do. We have to look at time as precious and, and steward it enough and value it enough that we choose what we do with it. Psalms 39, four through five says, Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. I think if we recognize how fleeting life is, we won't waste it on the unimportant things. Proverbs 19.21 says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. And so I said this a little bit earlier. There's things that are important to me. There's things that I like, things that they may be my desires or my plans. But ultimately, my greatest desire, your greatest desire, should be that our purposes agree with God's will. More than anything we want, do we love our lives enough? Do we love God enough to know what it means to rest, to be still, to be aware of our time and desire his purposes and his will for our lives? We've got to learn in guarding our time. We've got to say yes to less. And in saying yes to less, that's going to require us to say no to a lot more. And guess what? No is a healthy word. A lot of us are so afraid to say no. We've become yes men and we take on and we take on. It's like I was saying, we we, we cram in, but we rarely see what we can take out or cut out. Well, we've got to learn to say no and realize that that's a healthy word. And that helps guard us and protect us and ultimately make us available and give us margin to follow God's will for our life. I promise you, if you say no to the good things, you'll be able to say yes to the best things. What God wants for your life. In closing... As we learn to guard our time, we've got to learn to make time for rest. Not just physical recharge, but spiritual refocus. Secondly, we've got to learn to be still. We've got to learn what it means to release, to let go, to give God our cares, and know that He is God. And then lastly, we can't sit around begging for more time. We've got to realize this is the time I've been given. These are my marbles. I'm losing them. (laughs) But I'm aware of that. And so I'm going to be a steward of those. I'm going to be aware of the time that God has already given me and make the most of that as I seek his will for my life. And the ultimate result is this. It's a better understanding of God's will for our lives. And ultimately, it's going to help us guard our time and protect us in the long run. Amen. Did you guys get anything out of this tonight?